Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. As we continue our journey through 1 Timothy, we're picking up with chapter 3. Once again, we hear Paul say, this saying is true. Um, It is that emphasis um, of a statement that it is sound doctrine. Now, some of the interpreters um, believe that this should be the refers to the passage above it. Um, it is the end of the previous paragraph rather than the beginning of the next. Once again, chapters and verses were added much later. This was originally a letter. Um, it just would have been written. And we went back and added chapters and verses. And we would disagree about where a chapter or a verse should have been placed. And many, many scholars believe this should be the last verse of chapter 2. As we continue, chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 16, is going to talk about leadership. Leadership is patterned after the Roman household. In chapter 2, we talked about relationships between household members to an extent, particularly between genders. Now we're going to talk about leaders. A bishop or an overseer is the word that was used for a household administrator. This was the person who oversaw the external affairs of an urban Roman family. Would have been like the CEO or the business manager. Would have been a a competent person who could handle what do we need to purchase in the community? How do we interact with the rest of the world? What needs to be done outside of the home. So this person needs to be a competent administrator. Uh, Leaders must have integrity and they must have character. They must be respected. They must be able to commit and stay in that commitment. They must not be given to excess of emotion or passions. They must not be loyal or under undue influence of anything, a substance like wine. Um, They need to be spiritual and emotional, and they need to have spiritual and emotional maturity. They also need to have some life experience. It says that they need to be married only once or the husband of one wife in many of the translations. Um, Many times we say this rules out divorce and it rules out polygamy. Um, Both of those would have been practices that we have seen. Not so much in the Greco-Roman culture did we see polygamy, Um, and we really didn't see divorce a whole lot either. We saw polygamy with the Jewish people. We know divorce is possible. I'm not really sure that that's what that's talking about so much as um, that's a literal reading that may distort the meaning, because if we take this literally, then this also means that single men are disallowed, like a single man could not be a pastor because he has to be the husband of one wife already. I think that what this is indicating 
is that a male in this culture, when it talks about men, men were the only ones in this culture who would have been allowed to be administrators. So it puts it in the masculine perspective um, because that's all they would have known. It would never have occurred to them to make a woman an administrator of a household. I think what it is saying is that the man needs to be able to commit and stay in that relationship. We cannot have leaders who get caught up in their emotions and run off and leave. You need someone who knows how to commit. Commit to a woman. Learn to stay in the relationship when the going gets tough. Those are the kind of people you need to be leaders in the church. It goes on to talk about deacons. In the Roman household, a deacon was the staff that handled the internal affairs and the care of the family members. Um, Perhaps much like the head butler of an, uh, an older home um, for people in the European descent. You want a, a person handling this part who doesn't pit the family members against one another, who is not given to exploiting excess, whether we're talking wine or money, who don't get off on gossip, who don't enjoy drama. Um, and the wives... Uh, we may be talking about the wives being the wives of the bishops or overseers, or it may be referring to female deacons in the church who need to behave likewise. Again, uh, married only once, raising children with good values and morals. In other words, the people who are closest to them also know them to be in private, the person they are in public. They are passing on their way of living to their children. They deal kindly and responsibly with those who are even the closest to them. And once again, married means to commit. Now, as we talk about, we tend to translate this as pastors and deacons or um, elders and deacons in our ordination process in the United Methodist Church. If you really look at it and the roles that it had in the Roman household, a deacon in our structure in the United Methodist Church connects the church with the world outside, whereas an elder organizes the church and the life of the church oversees the sacrament, the worship, and the teaching of Scripture within the church, which means technically that what we have as deacons would have been... um, bishops or overseers, because that person in the Roman household handled the affairs outside the church, and pastors would actually be called deacons because they ordered the internal structure. That's just my little aside about these. All right, let's move on. Chapter 3, verse 14, um, Paul wants to come and visit Timothy, but he just hasn't been able to, um, and so a letter will have to do until he is able. We talk about pillars and bulwarks. Um, A bulwark was the foundation, the foundational doctrines of the true gospel on which the church and faith sit would be the bulwarks, and the pillars would be those things which stand upright. Um, So we have solid foundation and strong upright teaching of those doctrines. Verse 16, we have another confession of the faith. As we move into into chapter 4, we have more false doctrines. Um, Paul talks about deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. 
Um, they're saying things like you shouldn't get married. They're forbidding marriage, um, abstinence from some or all food in an extremely ascetic way. Um, these are extreme ascetic ideas that are not good practices, according to Paul. Um, Paul affirms that marriage and sex are good, that food is good. Anything to excess can be a sin or a vice, but so can the avoidance of things. Um, very often, we want to keep it between the lines, keep it in the middle, all things in moderation. And we should be thankful for marriage, for sex, for good food, for the things that we have. We need to find balance and moderation in our practices. Um, We want to have a grateful heart. We want to know and read about God's Word and know of God and connect with God through prayer. Paul never separates the message from the messenger. Your ministry flows from who you are, just as your Christian life will flow from your heart. We need to be consistent, people of integrity and character. This applies to all Christians, not just pastors, not just those who would lead in the in the church. Paul talks here about training. We're talking about the physical contests in the Greco-Roman society. In certain social classes, a, a daily routine would have involved physical exercise and a session at a local public or private bathhouse. Um, Your appearance, especially being very athletic, um, showing athleticism in in your appearance was prized. Um, We still see that now. Take a look at Instagram, Facebook, at the pictures put out. Trainers, gym memberships, exercising, being a part of daily life. Paul uses the the noun gymnasia and the verb gymnazo. The only place in the New Testament where the noun will occur is here in this book. In Hebrews 5.14 and 12.11 and 2 Peter 2.14, we will also see the verb. Um, the adjective gumnos appears often um, where it very often means naked, uncovered, or lightly clad um, when it does occur. So the connection here between the adjective, the noun, and the verb is that people very often exercised naked. This is why you would never see men and women in the same gym. And going to a gym was something men in Greco-Roman society did, not so much the women. Um, But Gymnasio is referring to gyms, and they did this naked. And too much looking at naked bodies can often lead you into, into trouble. There, um, Physical training has value to your health. I don't think Paul is dissing taking care of your body, but he's saying you can get obsessed with it. Um, physical training has value, but training in godliness has, a, has value in every area of your life, not just your physical health. Um, It has value to you both in this life and the next one as well. So put effort into learning godliness, into training yourself to live as God in the way you are carving out a portion of every day to exercise your body. Carve out a portion of your day to exercise your spiritual life. Verses 11 through 16 um, says, don't let them dismiss you because you are young. Um, Timothy is not a new Christian. He's probably just younger 
than many of the other believers. He probably came to faith very young because his mother and his grandmother are also believers. The church does not have the same age sensitivity as the structures of the world, as society does. Don't feel insecure in yourself because there are people who are older than you. God calls who God calls. God uses who God uses. Um, He encourages him to read scripture, to exhort them, to teach them. Now, remember at this time, Old Testament is the only scripture they have. The teachings showed Jesus that was the Messiah and taught other lessons about how to live. So when he encourages them to read scripture, he's talking about Old Testament, not the books that we have. And to exhort them was to encourage them. Um, The gospels and the letters that are written from other believers to the churches would have been used to encourage them and to teach them to exhort the congregations. He reminds Timothy that he has been gifted to lead. This is what he was called to do. This was confirmed by the elders of his home church, by the presbytery, which is the council of elders. Um, When they ordain us in the Methodist church, the bishop, other bishops, other leaders lay hands on us, and we are told to take thou authority. And that's basically what Paul is saying. We laid hands on you. Take thou authority and lead as you were called to do. Do the job that you've been entrusted with. They won't always like it, but your job is to help them mature in their faith, not to like you all the time. Um, You have to want their spiritual maturity more than you want their favor and popularity. This is a trap we can often get caught in, not just for pastors, but for other congregational leaders, is we spend too much time figuring out how we can keep everyone happy instead of figuring out how we can help them mature spiritually. He tells them to examine himself more stringently than he examines anyone else. Be the best example you can possibly be. Keep your teaching solid. Be consistent and faithful. That's your Make that your first priority and then help them to do the same. In chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 2, is another section of this letter. And it's going to shift from overall leadership to the various internal relationships that come inside a Greco-Roman household, and therefore inside a church congregation. They are to speak to others with respect and kindness. Um, This is particularly directed from Paul to Timothy. Think about the way you talk to those who have been entrusted to your care. Your spiritual authority doesn't give you the right to be ugly, hateful, mean, or hard-hearted toward them. Um, Talk to them kindly. Treat them as people you love and respect because you should love and respect them. We have an interesting discussion about widows here. Um, This could be people, women, who have been abandoned by their husbands because they have been loyal to Christ. So because they have converted to Christianity, their husbands have kicked them out and divorced them. This would have referred mostly to women because they wouldn't have had a lot of other ways to support themselves other than begging and prostitution. And very often begging turned into prostitution because you're begging for money, you're begging for food, and people are looking for a favor in order to get it. Um, So if we have those that we have to take care of, let's look at who they are. Their husbands also might have died 
Um, and there could also be some who have decided to dedicate themselves to the church in much the same way that we have nuns in the Roman Catholic Church. They may have been women who say, hey, I want to live to serve the church and the church community. We would call these deaconesses in our um, structure in the United Methodist Church um, or home missioners who, who want to give their lives to a life of service. The church is supporting them. But Paul says if they have family, first their family should support them, their children and grandchildren. We need to care for our parents, for those related to us who need assistance. We have a duty to care for our family, especially to care for our parents. And he says, don't support a widow going wild. This is not a free ride. This is a taking care of people. And they have a list, those who go on the list for support, um, It is being done in exchange um, for them helping the life of the congregation. It's not just a free handout, but they're going to serve the church and we're going to take care of them. It's a a symbiotic relationship of caring. And he tells us that um, they also should live lives of piety. So if they're going to be people who serve the church, they need to have a level of integrity, spirituality, and maturity. And if they're too young, they, they should marry. They should marry again, which leads us into all sorts of discussions about um, marriage and remarriage and adultery and whether that is allowed. Because Paul clearly says if they're young, let them, let them marry or remarry. Because um, if they're widows, they've been married. Um, because otherwise, they're, they're just too young. They're, they're not going to do this for their whole life. Eventually, they're going to want to have a husband and children. This verse, however, is the one that makes us wonder if we don't have a category of of a young nun classification into the church. Widow women can bond together to help one another and to help the church. The church cares for those who can, cannot help themselves, but they should do all they can to support themselves first. Um, this allows, if they can do what they can, allows Um, resources to be used to help those who cannot help themselves. Verse 17, we talk again about elders. It's another leadership term that we have. Um, It is a male group, and it is perhaps a male group that corresponds with the female group of widows that we have discussed above. But these are some who will be compensated for administrative work um, or for spiritual care, of the congregation. This might correlate to like church staff. Um, Then we talk a little bit about discipline. Discipline is necessary, but we don't do it based on rumor. We need to have two or three witnesses. This reflects Old Testament law as well as Jesus teaching in Matthew 18. Um, It also tells us that we should know someone before we ordain them. Before you authorize and endorse someone for ministry, you have a duty to know them. Our process of ordination in the United Methodist Church scrutinizes you. I often say they get all up in your business in a section called Called and Disciplined Life. They look at your health, your personal practices, your family, how you spend your leisure time, how you take care of yourself. Paul advises Timothy to um, drink some wine for his stomach, to relax from anxiety, perhaps, or to recover from some impurities that are in the water. Um, But he gives him permission to consume some wine and not just water. 
Um, some sins are very conspicuous and they will precede people. They'll be easy to follow. Other sins follow them. We find out only after the fact because people were keeping them hidden. Um, some people sin you see really clearly. Some you only discover much later. May not always see it. And we can't blame ourselves if we don't see every sin. If people succeed in hiding it for a while, we have to have our eyes open. We have to see reality. But we shouldn't condemn ourselves if we're looking, as long as we're not looking away and becoming complicit in someone hiding their sin. All right, chapter six, um, this is not an approval of slavery that he, we hear Paul making. It is an acknowledgement that this group of Christians and the church has no ability to completely reform culture at this point. It is an acceptance that slavery is a reality, and how do we deal with that as Christians? Do your job well if you find yourself. This would correlate to us as employees. Do it even if you have a bad boss. You're not relieved from being a good employee just because your boss is not a good boss. But if you are a boss or a master, you have to be kind and benevolent. You have to treat them like brothers and not like property. Um, teach and urge these duties. Um, sometimes with instruction to bosses and servants, this is given, and sometimes with advice about sound teaching and around wealth. So um, Timothy is to teach and urge these duties and responsibilities of people, how we live, and how we interact with one another. He's told not to tolerate people who cause trouble. We try to work out differences. We try to resolve disagreements, but you can't, you can't tolerate drama. Some people just like drama. They stir it up. They create it if it doesn't exist. It feeds their ego to watch people be all caught up in something. Um, some manuscripts include the statement, withdraw yourself from such people at the end of verse 5. Paul is telling Timothy, don't try to or don't let others um, profit from gospel teaching. Um, this places using the gospel as a means to get rich in the same category as slander and envy and all those other kinds of things that are not appropriate. Now, a worker is due their wages. It doesn't mean that people who serve gospel ministry should not get paid for anything. But I absolutely do think Paul is saying, you don't get rich, you don't live easy on um, serving a congregation and leading them. Paul tells Timothy to be content. Don't stir up drama yourself. Don't let drama be stirred up. Enjoy what you have. Um, if you have enough, don't be desperate for more. The race to be rich can lead people to do a lot of wrong things, to compromise their faith and their commitment to Christ. And this is something that Timothy is not only to model as their leader, but to teach them and to expect of those who lead within the congregation. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not the money itself, but the unbridled desire to get it. Money can be a blessing, and we need people in the church who have money because it helps us pay for things. A lot of ministry costs money. 
But if people love money, we know that there are some people who can never gain enough. They have millions and millions and millions of dollars, and yet they can't wait to earn their next million. And they will be greedy and tight and hard to get it. That's love of money. Um, Verses 11 through 16, Paul calls Timothy a man of God. That's his way of referring to him. Um, He should shun all that false teaching stuff, pursue instead righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. In verses 17 through 19, he says that for those who are rich with money, teach them not to be haughty or prideful. You're not more blessed. You're not better off than anybody else in the congregation. You aren't more loved of God. God loves us all the same. And they shouldn't trust in their money to be careful. Um, money can be lost as easily <laughs> and as quickly as some, sometimes it was gained. Trust only in God and not in anything else. Do good. Use what you have, your personality, your skills, and your money to do good in the world. Be more known for the work that you do than for the money that you have. This is what creates treasure in heaven. Um, Living for God is what is really living. In verses 21 and 22, the letter concludes with a general exhortation to obedience and a final farewell. And um, in typical Hellenistic fashion, he greets him and ends this particular letter to his dear friend, Um, and younger companion, Timothy.